Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Today's episode is sponsored by Mahler Bros Golf. We all want to look good on the golf course, but it often comes at the expense of feeling good. Mahler Bros Golf has polos that look good and feel good. With their lightweight and stretchy material that hugs your body, you will feel cool while looking just as cool. Their polos are guaranteed to make you look better, but it's up to you to golf better. On a hot summer day on the golf course, there's no polo that you would rather wear than Mahler Bros Golf signature polos. Mahler Bros Golf has a large catalog of polos with designs for those who want a loud design and others for those that want a subtle and sleek looking design. They also have fun t-shirts, hats, tumblers, and so much more to make your golfing experience better. Use code BELLYUP at MahlerBros.com for 15% off. You know when you're golfing, the sun's beating down, and you want to take your shirt off because of the heat? These polos almost feel like you aren't wearing one at all. Are your polos getting outdated and dingy? Time to get new ones that will make you stand out on the course. You need Mahler Bros Golf Signature Polos. Their polos are a comfortable, slim fit that will make you look and feel good when you're golfing with the boys. It can be tough to get the perfect golf polo, but Mahler Bros provides a product that looks great, fits great, and is effective when that sun is beaten down. You can also grab these perfect polos at the Belly Up t-shirts collection by going to maulerbros.com backslash bellyup. Mahler Bros doesn't only have polos, they have really fun golf t-shirts that you can wear anywhere. Maybe like that family get-together. Maybe a date. Who knows, maybe even at a college basketball game where you're witnessing the theater. Make sure to let them know where you got that shirt and wear it proudly. Don't wait to try out your new favorite golf apparel. Upgrade your golf attire with Mahler Bros. Get 15% off at MahlerBros.com with code BELLYUP. That's spelled M-A-H-L-E-R-B-R-O-S. Dot com. Again, 15% off at MahlerBros.com with code BELLYUP. Turn heads on the course or wherever you wear Mahler Bros polos. Mahler Bros Golf. Look good, feel good, and of course, feel good, play good.
Big honor. We got Colin Royal, one of Titch's number one ride or die fans, always listening every single week. Call. It's great to finally have you on Theater and College Hoops here. We'll, we'll get to why you're here, um, but first, quick introduction. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, long time, first time, Sue. Uh, excited to be on the podcast. Appreciate you having me on. This is it has been a while in the making now, but why don't we why don't we dive in and tell the folks why you're here? It seems as if you have a real gripe with something going on in the college basketball landscape. And this, I mean, you brought it to my attention, I feel like sometime in February, but I, I also feel like this is something that's been been metastasizing for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm alone in this, but basically, I mean, this is, you know, as old as time, people yelling about like uh, just seeing in the bubble and, you know, NCAA rankings and, you know, how the committee is is kind of putting teams in. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, I started to get mad about it last year when uh, Wake was sitting on the bubble and didn't get in. Um, they obviously have not done themselves any favor by losing to BC every year. But there you go. <laughs> this year, uh, I just I monitored it a little bit more closely, you know, kind of in Feb, starting in February, like into March, and I was just getting really pissed off at the whole like Big Twelve dominance, essentially. So I decided to actually kind of dive into it and figure out like what the hell the net rankings are and what the quad system is and like what all the the bullshit around it is. Um, and yeah, I figured a lot of people probably don't really know like what goes into all this stuff. Uh, they make it somewhat purposely obscure, um, I think, to sort of serve their own interests. But it is a, kind of an interesting look into, like, theoretically what's happening behind the scenes and, you know, whether or not they're, like, actually using this data or not. I'm definitely a guy that errs on the side of, let me just watch the game and, and sort of just go with eye test. I understand there's a lot of back-end Things that, that like the wheels are in motion, like you had mentioned, and there's a lot of different pieces of criteria. And we had Rocco Miller on actually, bracketologist, a couple of weeks ago. He gave us a nice peek behind the curtain. Uh, so I'm curious to know your your uh, feedback and maybe some of your different retorts. I don't know if you listened to the episode. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, and and so you know, to preface, I, I have absolutely no expertise in this. I, I realistically am like a borderline college basketball fan. Get most of my info from Titch. Uh, pretty much just watch Wake Forest and various ACC games. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and Rocco, I, you know, he had almost like a throwaway line, just kind of saying like the quad system is very questionable. And then you know, he pointed out a few things he actually used wake as, as an example of like, uh, you know, strength of schedule issues and such. Um, and you, you guys know, are, lot- you guys are ripe for that, by the way, because oh. you're not dominant, but you're not terrible. It's just like, you're a fascinating case year in and year out. And you, like you said, you never do yourselves any favors. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, really no matter what sort of ranking system you're going to use here, like, a team like wake that's just going to be like sketchy down the stretch. Like they're probably always going to miss out. And that just is going to be based on the eye test a little bit. You know, it's obviously going to be different if we're like a Michigan state or something who's having like a down year, but you know, some of that is uh, excusable, I suppose. Um, But yeah, I mean, really it's more just, 
I think my frustration is that, you know, with this whole quad system and the net rankings, the NCAA has tried to make it seem like this is, you know, purely data driven and, you know, it's, it's sort of out of their hands, right? Like they're making maybe a, a little bit of a subjective decision, but like, this is, this is the correct bracket every year. There's really not much question. I, I love, you know, you get the like extremely hurried two minutes at the end of selection Sunday show where like each panel member to ask the committee chair, like one question. And then he just gives like some BS answer. They're like, hmm, hmm, okay. And that's it. And that's all you hear ever about like the, the ranking system. And all of a sudden you just get a bracket and then everyone kind of forgets about it. And then it starts up the next year. But you know, there, there's some, there's some issues with what they've got going here. And like I said, I think it's like purposely obscure so that your kind of average fan just sort of sees it. And is like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Quad one, of course, like that's what we want. And then there's not really anything else behind it. It is one of the most annoying, frustrating things as a fan is having to entertain some of these 500, sub 500 teams in conference just because they lost to a a good opponent, right? And we saw that a lot in the Big 12. The Big 10 is pretty similar in that respect. I think the Big 10 had a terrible tournament. Um, But but I remember we're just getting so close to conference tournament season and everyone's talking about Wisconsin. Yeah. Despite the fact that they've lost what it's felt like eight of their last 10, you know, Wisconsin might have the resume to get it done. Uh, ironically enough, Wisconsin dropped one at home to wake forest earlier in the year. That actually probably hurt them a decent amount, but I, I, I do hate, and Taylor and I always talk about this. It's at some point you got to win these games. It's, it's not enough just to schedule them and say, well, yeah, we lost every single time we played a good opponent, right? You, you shouldn't be able to just get in off the backs of that. And I feel like that is something uh, we see quite often. Now, at the end of the day, teams like Texas Tech and Wisconsin did not get in, which I think was the the right call. But I think that's a source of frustration. Yeah, I mean, I would say this year, like, you know, just – from my own perspective, I feel like they made most of the right, you know, fringe bubble decisions. A lot of those teams were just really flawed. Like even the ones that were getting in, it's like, okay, if you're not going to put Arizona state in, yeah. Who do you put in Oklahoma? Like they also suck. So I don't know. It is what it is, but you know, in the last couple of years here, it's just like, it's not even that strange to see nine seeds and eight seeds final four anymore. Like, you know, when we were growing up, you know, mid 2000s, whatever, it was like, it was just going to be a top four seed every single year. And maybe you have an absolute, you know, one Cinderella darling that goes through. But, you know, with the transfer portal and NIL and all this stuff, like, it's just so much more varied. You have a lot of good mid major teams. You have a ton of guys that were recruited, you know, to high major schools and then they, you know, drop out. I feel like, you know, every time I hear you talking, it's like, Oh, this school has an Arizona guy. This school has an Arizona guy. Like that's just pretty common now. And, you know, with the variance of three point shooting and everything, you know, I think most fans would probably like to see more Florida Atlantics and less of, you know, whatever Virginia techs, just like cruising around as an 11 seed. Like it, it just, who cares at this point? Right. Like, and I get from like the marketing perspective, like they want to fill these stadiums when you're playing in, you know, Kansas city or whatever. And, you're hoping that the big names are going to go far, but you know, the, the tournament itself and the bracket itself, I feel like does most of the marketing and gets most of the viewership. Like 
would people really care that much if you swapped out, you know, six high majors for six mid majors and kind of let it dance a little bit? Or if you had some of those mid majors and higher seeds where they probably should be, just makes it more interesting, right? And then you can yell about, oh, this eight seed, you know, big 10 team probably should have been a five seed. Like, it'll be fun either way. It just seems unfair to like most of the pool, kind of the way they have it set up here. Well, it's it's a good point you bring up, especially with FAU and everyone. Everyone kept saying, as they continued to advance, you know, this isn't this isn't your father's nine seed. This isn't a nine seed, a, a traditional nine seed. It's like, okay, so why were they why were they seated at, at the nine line when they had three losses or something yeah. on the entire season? Right? I mean, I, I get they're playing in uh, I, I from blanking on a conference USA, but. Everyone keep, keeps saying this is a really good team. This is not a nine seed. It's like maybe they should have gotten a better draw then. And I would even say UConn was underseeded too. Just because yeah. they had a, a, some blips in the radar in January or whatever it was. And another thing that really pisses me off is when people write teams off prior to Valentine's Day. I think UConn was what, a f- uh, four? Were they, were they a four five, seed? Four or five, yeah. No, five. I, I – no, because I, I don't think Iona was a 12, were they? Mm, I don't remember. I immediately forget the bracket the second this one ends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the, it's the complete opposite with the Shark. Let me just check on that <laughs> real know. quick. Someone's yelling, there were, there were five seats in the bottom left. Who fucking knows? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's, what, that's what the Shark was doing. Uh, yeah. But, I, I mean, yeah, some of these are just – some of these teams are just criminally underseated. Yeah, they really are. And so I, I've got Florida Atlantic, obviously, as a good example here. But to, to kind of peel back the layers a little bit. So technically, the way that these seedings are done now, it's like a three-tiered system, which on the surface sounds stupid. Basically, you know, you start seeing these net rankings pop up, like when you get into conference play. So, you know, I think most people are aware RPI is no longer – still use it actually as like one of the factors but it's not like the predominant ranking so net ranking is this thing they came up with like five years ago they like overhauled it like during COVID actually while everything was shut down and they basically chopped it down to there's two metrics in it so it's what they call adjusted net efficiency which is um, actually the like kind of main thing that Ken Palm uses so that's essentially what his rankings are is like adjusted net efficiency. So it's basically like game result. It's like how efficient is your offense versus your, how efficient is your defense? Like it, it takes into account, you know, if you're beating up on bad teams, if you're, you know, beating good teams, et cetera. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward. And then the other piece of it is what they call the team value index. They, they do not tell people what the team value index is. So this is like an unknown algorithm they claim that it takes into account three factors, game result, opponent, and location. To those exactly sound like adjusted efficiency, I don't exactly know how those are different, but theoretically the idea is that they're, they're like, you know, supposed to be looking at, okay, if you lose a really hard game on the road, you're not going to get penalized versus if you, you know, win a really easy game at home, that shouldn't be much of a boost. So that's theoretically what team uh, value index is. But that that sort of alone, you know, creates the net rankings. Um, 
they don't start the net rankings until like December. So, and they also don't really say like what happens before then. So it's, it's kind of unknown whether there's like a carryover from the previous year and it like starts from that. If it's like a poll that they use, if they go off Ken Palm or something really have no idea. So all of a sudden the net rankings just show up, um, you know, unannounced. Yeah. And, and, you know, for any like, statistical model that's pretty strange to just have that, that you can't like trace it back and and honestly i think it's because they don't want people to figure out what the algorithm it is basically so it, it's kind of obviated that way but you know again the the net rankings are also based off the net rankings right so like the team value index is based off another team's net ranking so it's this like recursive model Meaning if there's like one kind of error or outlier within it, then it just fucks everything up because they're all like based on each other. And the other thing they did when they overhauled it in 2020, they got rid of winning percentage as the other factor. So essentially what net rankings used to be was like those two factors. And then they had all the RPI factors in there. So RPI is basically your winning percentage times your opponent's winning percentage time times your opponent's opponent's winning percentage, which is like, you know, a pretty simple way to calculate it. And it doesn't really take into account any of these like game factors, right? Like whether or not you won by one point or by 30 or whether it's an away game or home game, but it ultimately says, okay, you're either like you won your games and you're a good team or you're not. Um, so you might get screwed a little bit if you have like a really bad strike or a really hard strike this duel and then you know as well. Um, the thing, the thing about the timing, by the way, call is, is very interesting to me because everyone always looks back when, when we try and seed these teams, everyone actually looks back at these Thanksgiving tournaments that are pretty critical. I mean, you got the Maui Invitational going on during Thanksgiving. You got some of the different Champions Classics, and those are those are usually a t- tournaments filled with big names, right? Creighton's playing up against Michigan State's versus, and th- that didn't happen this past year. But there's big names and and big teams and 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 coaches that are uh, building their resume. And so, are you telling me that those are kind of moot based? On, I mean, do they not go into the net? No, if anything, those are like – so j- just because like the net's not published then doesn't mean that those games don't like count for it. But if, if anything, those games are like borderline the most important ones, right? Because the other thing that the net doesn't do, it doesn't – there's no recency factor. So if if win on, on November 15th, that's just as important as literally winning your conference championship game. So if you beat, you know, Gonzaga the first game of the season – that's going to be like you beat them at full strength, you know, at the very end of the year, which again, that's just not reality. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. Like if I was, you know, doing my own job and trying to, you know, make adjustments based on something that happened like a year ago versus what happened a week ago, I'd probably get fired. Like that's just like a dumb way to do things. So really, you know, I think the idea behind net rankings here is to create literally that is to create like better early season non-conference matchups, you know? Cause I think what was happening before is that everyone would just kind of schedule cupcake games. They'd play in one of those tournaments and, you know, you hope you get to play whatever UNC or Duke or someone, but 
what is happening now is there are more like high major conference teams playing each other early, but it kind of creates like the rich getting richer essentially, because the, the way that this is laid out and, and, and what ends up happening, right. With the rankings, technically are not used in the seeding or the, the bracket selection. What they do with the net rankings is that they then create this quad system, right? So yeah, take us, take us through this table here call yeah okay. uh, and obviously so, for the listeners you can't see this but you know well, we'll, so we'll, people we'll try to clean this right because th- this gets flashed now like during selection sunday and stuff but like obviously people talk about the quad system all the time now so basically they, they put it into four quads and the, what they do is they create um i don't know if you've ever seen these Sue, but they make what they call a net sheet which is basically like a report card for each team and, and you can see these these are available so you can just go look at like each team's report card and they basically lay out like their resume by quad. So quad one is a home game against a net team, one through 30, a neutral team, like a played on a neutral court, one through 50 or an away game, one through 75. So, you know, you have some leeway, right? So if you're playing a home game, you got to be playing like basically a top 25 team. And then if you're playing away game, you just have to be playing like a decent team. So that's considered like a quad game right so yeah i mean if you're if you're kansas you're going to want to schedule like a michigan state a duke a unc something like that because you know even in a down year those teams are probably never going to drop below 50 in the net right so even like a bad unc year they're probably gonna be like 45th or something so even if you lose that game it's just a quad one loss which like, as we'll see, basically means nothing. Like you can just have unlimited quad one losses and like, it doesn't really matter. So if you're a top level team, basically what you want to do is schedule absolute cupcakes that you're just going to demolish them. Or you want to schedule a a top of the top team, right? Like you do not want an in-between team. Cause if you're, if you're Kansas, like the last thing you want to do is schedule like St. John's because you don't know where they're going to fall and they might they might have a bad year and end up like 80th in the net and then all of a sudden you lost to them on November 19th and now you have a quad two loss which like actually does look bad and that might literally drop you from a one seed to like a three seed so those mid-tier teams honestly like a Wake Forest are going to have a really hard time like finding a, a top team to schedule right so you just have to kind of hope that your conference is really good so, like, you know, Wake tried to schedule stuff this year. Like, we played LSU, Georgia, Rutgers, like, which are, like, okay, those are kind of fringe teams. Sometimes Georgia's good. Sometimes Rutgers was really good. So, like, you take your shot there. None of them worked out. Those teams were – I mean, Rutgers was fine. But, like, yeah, LSU and Georgia were horrific. So – Did you beat and Rutgers? And we literally we, – we lost to LSU. So, like, that was the nail oh, of the coffin. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Did, did, you, did you beat Rutgers, though? Because at one point – that's the other aspect of this – is when you bank on these key wins to help you, and then that team just ends up stinking. Like yeah. Wisconsin was one of them, right? Uh, d- but did you beat Rutgers? No, I think we lost by like two. Okay, um, yeah, which and that was like a quad one loss for us, so it was kind of whatever. That was that was part of like the Big Ten ACC job. So I think it was at Rutgers. Um, so like, but that that was a fine one, and it, but that was close because I think Rutgers like snuck in. They're like you know seventieth or something in the no, they did um, the they, net the the. the the season completely came to a screeching halt for Rutgers. They choked and did not make the tournament. Yeah, but they snuck in like the quad one. Like th- their, oh. their net ranking was like 70. So if you're playing like an away game, then, then it's fine there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, so like, you know, 
like Rocco made an interesting point on, on your last one where he was talking about FAU. And he was saying that those teams kind of knew about FAU and they were like, don't put FAU on my schedule. Like, I don't want them, right? So even if there's like a hint of a, a mid-major that's going to be decent, they don't want to play them, right? Because like worst case is FAU gets off to a hot start. They actually beat one of those top teams and then they tumble and they're, you know, they, they lose to like middle Tennessee state twice. And then all of a sudden they're like a, you know, net 80 team. And now you've like ruined your whole resume. So, you know, from like a TV rating standpoint and stuff, it's going to create better early season games. Cause you should see a lot of like top teams playing each other, but it just makes it like even harder for those mid tier teams to find a path like into those kind of extra quad one wins. So like you look at a Florida Atlantic and, and they only played three quad one games, not really for lack of trying, like they scheduled some teams, but you know, for instance, like they schedule Ole Miss, right? I mean, whatever, Ole Miss sucks. So you probably would have known that going into the season, but they're trying to schedule some sort of, you know, high major team there. Um, but like, it, it's, it's just interesting to look at because it, it really is much more like narrative driven than it is kind of the numbers. So, you know, essentially what, what your resume should look like to be like a top, you know, three seed or whatever, you basically have to be perfect in quad three and quad four. You can maybe get away with like one bad loss or something, but you know, it has to be more of like a fringe, you know, type of quad three loss, like a, a home loss to a, you know, a rival or something that, that happens to be bad this year. But if, if you kind of stumble in, in some of those games, like you're, you're kind of screwed from the beginning there. And then basically you just need like literally quad one wins. Like the record doesn't matter. Right. So like we saw that in the big 10 and the big 12, where you've got a team like Maryland that goes three and 10 against quad one. Like that's terrible. Right. So they played 13 good teams theoretically, and they lost almost all of them. Which what was it? They, they were, were they were terrible on the road too, specifically, right? I think yeah, so, so you're bad on the road. You're bad against good teams. All you did was not lose against really bad teams, right? That's basically Maryland's whole resume. And then they were just in what was considered a good conference, right? They also finished towards the bottom of the conference. So kind of in no way, like would a normal person think, oh, this is a really good team, right? Unless you kind of apply these like weird heuristics to it. So Maryland walks away with an eight seed and Florida Orlando walks away with a nine seed, despite in like literally every single metric being so much better than Maryland. And sure enough, it plays out and Florida Atlantic kicks the crap out of everyone and Maryland, you know, wins their first game and then loses. Who did, who did Maryland play in the first round? Uh, it was a very, it was the first game of the, of the tournament, West Virginia. They yeah. West Virginia. Who also sucked, right? So that was the perfect <laughs> matchup because it, like it those really were the was. two teams that probably should not really have been there. We're way overseeded. And of course, both of them, you know, they, one of them has to win and then they both lose immediately. I'm okay with saying Maryland was overseeded. I think they deserve to be in the field. West Virginia was one of those teams. And I I guess they had a somewhat good finish and it, it really came down to like of the three ugly, ugly sisters, which one is the least ugly between like them, Oklahoma and Texas tech, because all three of them were really bad. And it just so happened to be that West Virginia played well enough to not be the worst of those three. So it really was a perfect matchup. 
between Maryland and West Virginia. I kind of hated that it kicked us off. Maybe that's because it, it kicked us off between two teams that were not potent at all. Nobody yeah. thought those teams were going to make any sort of run. No. No. And so, all right. So like the West Virginia one's a good example here, right? So like the, the weird thing with the quad system is that it is a little bit arbitrary, right? So you have this actual net ranking thing here, which does just rank teams one through what are 366 or however many teams there are. But again, then, then it tries to kind of give it context by using this quad system, but you have these like straight line delineations where if you are on the road and you play the 71st net ranking team uh, and you lose, that's now a quad two loss. If they were the 70th team, that's a quad one loss and basically gets thrown away. It doesn't matter. Right. And again, because there's no, um, right. Yeah. And there's no, you know, uh, there's no recency. There's no like timeline to it. This is the, the net rank. Like these all get recalculated at the end of the year. So even if you played like a really hot ranked team and then they tumble because like a guy got hurt and they lose their last four games and they, they drop one spot out of that quad. Now your whole resume is shot because of like something totally out of your control, even though that still might've been a team with a good record or, you know, again, it was like a really hard game when you played them. So, okay. So the, the big 12 is a good example here, right? So Oklahoma ended the season at net 68, right? So, like I said, the the 70th is like kind of the cutoff because if you're if you're post 70, if you're 71st and above, you're kind of useless for uh, for your conference there, right? Because like those are games that the top teams you almost have to win those games or else it looks bad, and then you're really not you're really not rewarded that much for beating a quad two team, right? Well, and so, and those those like imagine going on the road playing a, a net 70 plus type of team we've seen it we see it every single year in like the sec and the acc on a sleepy wednesday night where kentucky will go into south carolina and get upset at colonial life right right and that that happens all the time and and it's it it contributes to people being like should be should we be worried about kentucky should we be worried about connecticut losing to st john's actually which is exactly what happened yeah. right uh which i think was at home but we see the, and uh, basically what I'm saying, and the listeners probably going to be like, "Yeah, we list, we see upsets during the regular season, but it's those sleepy, uh, those sleepy regular season games Wednesday night where you're probably thinking to yourself, "All right, this team's going to go into this arena and absolutely roll, right? Uh, Wake or I don't know, uh, Duke. Let's say next year Duke goes into what's a sleepy like Georgia Tech." Yeah. And yet somehow Georgia Tech wins and that that's going to be a big ding for the Duke resume. Yeah, and and you know, there really is again because there's no like timeline factor in this, it it just like it, it's tough within a conference, right? So the only way that you can sort of survive this is if you get one of these big 12 big 10 runs where basically every single team in the conference is considered a super high quality opponent. So losing to Oklahoma technically doesn't matter in this case, even though Oklahoma went 15 and 17, they were two games under 500. Like they were by all objective measures, kind of a bad team, right? The, I looked at their RPI ranking. It was 103. So in, you know, the older system, they're, they're not even, on the bubble, like they're way out. Right. So uh, actually a loss to Oklahoma in that case is a bad loss. 
But because in this case, Oklahoma snuck into the 68th net ranking, which again is based on net ranking. So it's all kind of recursive here. What then happens, right, is that it sort of goes up the chain. So you look at like a TCU, who again got like a crazy high seed for being basically like a 500 team. Uh, They lost at home to Oklahoma. But it doesn't really matter because it's kind of considered, uh, you know, a quad one loss, right? So they, they net out at 28 when if Oklahoma nets out three spots above, now that's a bad loss. That probably bumps TCU out of the quad one. So now if you lose to TCU at home, now that's a quad two loss. And it just kind of keeps going up the chain there. And yeah, all so- it takes is for like one little tweak and like your whole conference is totally different. So I, I totally understand the point you're making here is that it's, driven from the bottom driven by uh, a, a fringe 68th spot for Oklahoma, which is as an impact to TCU. I think TCU is an interesting case from this past season though, because they did have that terrible loss at home to Oklahoma. They also lost to Northwestern state. If you remember that, but the interesting thing about TCU is that they were accumulating a lot of these losses without their studs. Mike miles wasn't available. I think Eddie Lampkin wasn't available for a stretch stretch of, the, of time there as well. And so everyone just kept saying to themselves, look, if TCU's right, if TCU's healthy, then they could be a, a dark horse for the Final Four. And they showed stretches of it. I think Mike Miles was one of the I – mean, he's he may, he may have won Big 12 Player of the Year, not sure. But uh, then literally like two days before the tournament started, we got this notification basically saying Eddie Lampkin and – Jamie Dixon are on the outs and Eddie Lampkin's not even going to play for them. So I I get your point about, Hey, you know, in this scenario, Oklahoma is driving what happens a little bit with TCU. But I also think some folks were saying, we're going to give TCU this seed, maybe not a hundred percent based off of uh, what they've shown, but also potential if they're fully whole, fully healthy. Yeah. And like, I, and so I, I kind of agree with that idea, right. In that, like there should be, the ability to kind of change seedings and, you know, maybe bring a team in off the bubble based on some stuff that's about to happen or, you know, just some changes that happen. Right. But really like that predictive measure should not be used in the, the kind of statistical ranking of this. Right. Because, okay, fine. So you think TCU is going to get a whole lot better great. Let's make them prove it. Right. Give them like an eight, a nine seed. And if they tear it up, then that's awesome. They, they played well enough without their stars to make a legitimate case. They won, you know, what, 21 games, something like that. So, okay, great. So they're rewarded by getting into the tournament. Uh, we'll give them a decent seed and hopefully they can put it together and, and, you know, make some splash versus let's just, give it to them as if they played the whole season with a different guy and they would have won more. And we're going to bump a bunch of other people down because of that. Like, it just seems like a, you, you can't have it both ways, right? Like in one case, cause they would do the opposite. Like with, if you, you know, had a guy and then he got hurt right towards the end, right. They would then bump them down based on that sort of predictive measure of they're not going to be as good moving forward. And you also wouldn't see that same thing probably extended to a mid-major, right? It's only because people know who these TCU guys are that this is even a storyline. Who knows? Like, if you told me right now that Florida Atlantic played half their season without their best player, I'd believe you. Like, I had no idea. And I don't think these committee members would even know, right? Like, who knows? It's The committee members are just, like, the ADs of, like, random schools. Like, these guys have no idea what's going on. So 
you know, it's, it's still very narrative driven. I do just kind of wish they would say, Hey, we want to just make the best product possible. So here are the teams that are going in like, but they tout this whole thing. They're like, Oh, we work with like Google data services and we have the best of the best. It's like, get out of here. Like that's not happening. You guys are lying. It's just, it, it's annoying. It's just rewarding the top schools kind of over and over again. And you just like to see it change up here as like these mid-majors become, you know, more legitimate. So I think there is a faction of of college basketball fans that agree with you and just say, well, because of the name cachet, because of the name on the on the uniform, they're going to get in no matter what. I think that kind of and I was actually towards the end. I was Carolina was so bad that they had to be left out for yeah. the for the for the you know, authenticity for the sake of the sport, if I wanted to take you seriously. But I will say towards the end, I was like, just make it somewhat interesting, Carolina, and they'll get you in. And I'd be happy with that. I need to see Carolina. It Like the, the tournament's better when Carolina's in it. Um, and that's, that's, that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow for teams that are trying to fight for their life on the bubble, uh, especially mid-majors. But I think it also just goes to show you how terrible Carolina really was, though. But, Call, I want to I want to look at this specific example, all right, that we have up here. You've touched on uh, Maryland and West Virginia. You touched on Oklahoma TCU. Take us through this San Diego State-Baylor uh, example because these are two teams that we haven't touched on, but they both have – I don't want to say San Diego State has championship pedigree, but they just played in the national title game. Baylor is a couple years removed from winning a national title. Talk to talk to us about these two teams and and where you have a gripe. Yeah, so th- this is this is like a perfect example of kind of like the rich getting richer here, right? So, you know, Baylor, uh, you know, they go twenty two and ten, right? That that's their their record of the year. So basically, their their resume is that we played in the Big Twelve. And we were in the top half, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what they're coming in with. So, <clears throat> I mean, ten you know, losses. This, ten losses isn't a, a terrible season. Yeah, but that's not three C. I mean, when mm-hmm. do you see a three C with ten losses? Like that's crazy. Like yeah. you should have seven losses, eight maybe if you're like Kansas or something, and then you're getting a, a three C. But you know, th- this is. I think there's a pretty clear case of them just kind of letting Baylor have it because they've been good and at the top for the last couple of years and and they sort of get to come in this is what makes me think that they basically have like a preseason net and then they kind of pick it up from there right so if you get San Diego State right they end up getting a five seed and, and obviously this happens to San Diego State like every year but usually San Diego State has like a pretty weak out of conference schedule they have like a pretty bad strength of schedule overall but this year they were just like dominant all over the place so they're, they're 14th in net. I'll also say the NCAA continues to update net rankings through the tournament to make it look like they got it right at the end of the year. It's very annoying. You have to like go back and like undo some of this stuff. It, it's stupid. But anyway. So, so like the, the number one net team is, is UConn? Yeah. 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 Seriously. Um, which is like, they're like, oh my God, we got it right. <laughs> look at us. Even though they were like, you know, 28th or something. Um, Okay, so San Diego State's 14th in net. They're fifth in RPI. They go 26 and six. They are five and five versus. So if you're going to do the quad one stuff, and you, they're five and five against quad one, so they're 500. Which honestly, not a lot of teams are over 500 against quad one. Basically, Kansas and, and you know maybe a few other teams kind of dominated quad one. Most most teams go around like 500. 
So if you're five and five, that's pretty good. Uh, no quad two losses and no, they I think they had, they had one bad loss basically. Um, or sorry, one quad two, but they swept all the bad teams. San Diego state has almost one of the best, uh, according to some of the, like there's a bunch of different metrics for strength of schedule, but for some of them, they had like borderline the best strength of schedule. Um, their, their non-conference strength of schedule is really good. It was top 20. You look at Baylor, they end up at 15th in the net again with a 22 and 10 record. They go 11 and 10 versus quad one. So basically the same winning percentage. They just had double the attempts that, that San Diego state got, uh, they they sweep the bad teams, but they only played you know they only played like seven quote unquote bad teams, right? They played seven quad four teams, no quad three. So the rest of their losses, uh, you know, sitting in quad two. Their non conference strength of schedule is like middle of the pack. It's like in the hundreds. So you know they're they're not really stepping much out uh, in terms of they're, they're you know they're playing in a good tournament, I suppose, at the beginning of the year. But other than that, they're scheduled with cupcakes. That's where all their quad four stuff is. So they're not really taking any chances. They do pretty good in their conference, not dominant. You know, there's several much better teams than them sitting in their their conference, uh, and they wa- they walk away with a three seed. And San Diego State is sitting there fighting as a five seed, despite pretty objectively just like an overall better resume. Uh, pretty much any way you look at it, like there, there's really no way to say objectively that like San Diego State had a worse setup than Baylor. Yet they're just not being rewarded for it at all. So. What do you say to then someone who's looking at the bracket and they're they're like, why should I take a team from the Mountain West that hasn't done diddly in the NCAA tournament over the course of the last three years? And again, this is before San Diego State made their incredible run this past season. But let's say if you know Gumble just releases the brackets and 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 fans are looking at it, everyone's going to say to you, Colin, well, I trust a team from the Big Twelve that has championship pedigree. And the the Big 12 was far more competitive with better teams than the Mountain West. Again, Mountain West, a team, or excuse me, a conference that does not produce teams that win in the NCAA tournament. Why the hell would I go with San Diego State? Could you not hear that retort coming? Yeah, but I think that's like the general, still the general vibe of like the NCAA as a whole. But, and I know it's still kind of small sample size here, but that's just not what happens anymore. Like the, these mid mid-level you know, power five conference teams, they just do not do well in these conferences anymore. Like they're lucky to get out of the first weekend. Whereas, yeah, obviously, you know, San Diego state has a lot of baggage in their past and they haven't had like a ton of success, but I I think you got to start looking at these teams differently here. Cause I I just think this is going to happen more and more, right? Like if you're looking in Ken Palm, Ken Palm is technically a predicted stat, right? So it's not actually a ranking. It's more of like, if these two teams were to play against each other, what's likely to happen? San Diego State and Baylor are like neck and neck, right? They're, they're, it's like 14 and 16 or something. Um, so from a predictive metric, San Diego State looks great. Uh, from an actual rankings perspective, they look great. Like strength of schedule was really good. They played good teams. They had, you know, classic San Diego State, right? They're one of the top defenses in the league a pretty good offense. Baylor was like the complete opposite. So, you know, whatever, if you don't want to trust like the mid majors, I think you're just going to keep doing really poorly in the bracket. Cause you're just, you know, going to take all these big 10, big 12 teams and just get smoked over and over again. But I don't know. It's hard to sell, right? Like, cause who, who would have, who would have picked both Florida Atlantic and San Diego state? Like absolutely no one. So you got to find a horse and kind of ride them. But I, I just think it's, 
it's going to be more fun if if these teams like get rewarded going into it and there's actual buzz behind them and like you're seeing a Florida Atlantic who had you know three losses on the year come in at like a four seed like they probably should right and then it's then it's like a real question and now it's pretty fun now you got to like really have some balls to take them as a four seed. And you actually start to get people who are going to take Ben majors, go further and further rather than just like everyone's bracket being absolutely toast by, you know, Sunday. Cause all these other teams came in and just crushed them. So this is actually reminding me of that one year where Wichita state was a one seed and then they had to run up against an eight seed Kentucky. I don't know if you've done the research on those two teams from that particular year, but I would be interested to see what numbers, may or may not have backed it up because I think Wichita state only had about two losses, two or three losses, whatever it was the entire season. And then they end up losing to Kentucky and Kentucky ends up going to the national title game. I believe it was 2014, the last time UConn won. So uh, I'd be, I'd be interested to, to see what, what the numbers say there, because I, I remember that vividly and everyone was saying, look, if it's Kentucky, Wichita state, that is a brutal, brutal draw for Wichita state. Not that they would be like, no one was shocked that Kentucky won that, but I think they were just saying this is kind of unfair for Wichita state to give them this path. Yeah. And I feel like Kentucky specifically always, well, I don't know, more recently keeps ending up in these like weird, like kind of killer spots where they just start out so bad and then they find it by March and they're like the most dangerous six seed in the bracket. Like that just seems to be Kentucky's MO now. Cause I got a bunch of like 17 year olds there, but so, like, you know, the good example of that is probably, like, Houston this year, right? Like, uh, you know, again, on paper, Houston versus Florida Atlantic, if you do, like, a blind test there, you're not going to see much difference. Like, honestly, Houston's strength of schedule is, like, very similar to Florida Atlantic's. So, you know, because that, that would probably be – my you know reflex to be like well i'm sure they played a much harder out of conference schedule or something right that's why they got rewarded not really uh the actual conference they play in not that much better this year like traditionally yes it's probably a little better than than where florida atlantic's playing but some of those teams in the conference usa like again by all metrics net rpi whatever they were all pretty good like not all of them but like uab was good texas yeah i mean so so they honestly they kind of net out right in terms of the two conferences there the record is very similar houston just had more success like in the past couple years and they have some higher profile players you know they have some of the more flashier stats right like they're they're way up obviously and you know ken palm kind of almost top 10 for both like offense defense but again just based on like what is being told to us that we use these net rankings in the quad system there's absolutely no reason why Houston and Florida Atlantic should be the difference of like eight seats. Like it's absolutely crazy. So you just touched on the net and Ken Palm again here. Take us through this final example about Miami, another team that was in the final four. Yeah. I mean, this is a specific axe to grind. Cause, and, and I know, <laughs> Sue, I know Sue, you were on Miami too, but like I was. I, Miami was just good the whole year. Like I, they were one of the teams I watched the most. Isaiah Wong was like phenomenal. He's one of the best players in the country. He, he was really good last year. Like, this was just a good team, right? Um, so, honestly, it, it's it's a little, like, crazy to, to look at this, right? So, Miami basically just gets screwed because the ACC is a huge freaking conference and there's some really bad teams at the bottom, right? So, basically, Miami 
nets out at 35. So, and this is one of the screwy things, right? If you look at it now, it'll say that Miami's net is 21, but that's because they went to the final four, right? So their actual net at the end of the regular season was 35, um, which, you know, if, if you're saying, okay, there's, you know, uh, four for each seed, that, that should mean that they're probably about what, like a, you know, an eight seed or something. Yet the tournament, you know, the, they at least got that right in the sense of, okay, maybe they're a little under seed. Like their rankings are a little off, right? So they gave them a five seed, which is probably appropriate. But what that does is, is it has that reverse trickle down of unlike Oklahoma being bumped up and it sort of bumps everyone else up, Miami not really being ranked correctly then screws the rest of the ACC because Miami was right at the top. They almost won the ACC, right? So they beat most of the teams in the conference there. But instead of just having a quad one loss every time, a lot of those goes down as quad two losses. So now you've got Duke that has a quad two loss instead of a quad one. You've got, you know, uh, Virginia that's got a couple quad twos. And all these teams sort of tumble down to where they're outside of that top 30. And then it just has, you know, this rolling effect. And all of a sudden everyone's saying the ACC stinks. They're no good no chance there. Everyone's going to lose the first weekend. And of course, Miami goes to the final four every single year. There's an ACC team in the final four. It just happens every time. I agree. So yeah, it's, it's just frustrating. Uh, right. Cause like really, I mean, I've, I've always, I said so, so many times this season, I didn't think the ACC sucked. Everyone was like, the ACC is terrible. Like there's some decent teams. There are some garbage teams at the bottom, like Florida state, Georgia tech, Notre Dame, BC, they were all pretty damn bad. Yeah. But at the top, you had Duke who was really rounding into form and yeah, Carolina was not very good, but they weren't garbage. Like their their tournament hopes didn't get dashed in December or January. Then of course Miami was really good. Uh it's it's it shouldn't shock anyone to see that the ACC produces final four teams, which I believe now has been three years running. So it's like every year, dude. They're, they're either it's either Duke and UNC is winning the title or someone's in the final four. Virginia, so, Miami. Yeah. It's every year. But, you know, so even like, I mean, you mentioned Georgia Tech. So, like, what, Miami's probably worst loss was at Georgia Tech, which is a bad loss, right? But that's a bad loss. It should have the opposite effect in that Georgia Tech should be getting a quad one win, which, like, would have probably jumped their net up by 30 points. But they don't get that. And then everyone else who loses the Georgia Tech also. And it's just like a whole flywheel effect here. So, I mean, you get like one one slight mistake and your entire conference can get kind of screwed around. So, you know, they got to figure something out. I I feel like what's missing is like some conference relevance, right? Like the way that they have this set up, it it just, it doesn't matter that much. Like you you just, you just got to get lucky and you got to get the big 12 is the perfect example because they're a really small tight conference now. So there's only a handful of teams they're all, you know, probably going to be somewhat decent every year. And they're just going to keep chugging along being, you know, 500 most of the time. But as long as they just keep scheduling, you know, some decent out-of-conference games, like, they're going to be fine. And it's going to be tough for, you know, these bigger conferences, the ACCs, the Big East, you know, whatever, even like American, stuff like that, to just have, you know, 12-plus teams. I, I don't know how they're going to – fight through this basically like you're going to start to see a lot of those top teams that you know should probably be higher 
or, you know, some of those mid-tier teams that just almost don't have a chance. And I don't know, like you should be rewarded if you win, if you dominate your conference. And if you don't, you should be punished for it, right? Because you're getting the reward by being at a good conference, but then you also don't have to win in there. So it's just like a double-edged sword. All you have to do is just be in a good conference now. So have you have you given any thought to what your system name would be? We got Nat, we got Ken Palm. How if you if you add your druthers, if you make it huge, you know, based on your model, what are we calling it? That's a good question. I mean, my last name lends itself pretty well to something like this. Probably something like the Royal Matrix or I don't know. I'll, I'll workshop it. I, I am. I am. I've been pitching this segment as off quadway uh, for the listeners to to keep up with the Titch theme. By the way, I've off, been yelling. I've been yelling uh, off quadway at Zoom for like four months. Yeah, this has been this has been uh, some months now in the making. As a matter of fact, I did promise Colin that he could come on a few months ago, and then truth be told, I just forgot to schedule this. So I appreciate you following up. I, I, I kept the anger. I, I kept the fire up for months. Well, it was suppressed for a little bit. And then you said coming into today, all right, I'm back. What, yeah. Well, I reread all my notes and I was like, this stuff is outrageous. Again. So I'm still mad. <laughs> just looking at some of the different numbers. Yeah. I mean, you had to reinvigorate yourself. So I, I mean, if, if you were to just lay it out briefly, right. You're, you've, you're at the end of what is your thesis of uh, the off quad way? I mean, the thesis is basically, this is, all smoke and mirrors they made up an intentionally complicated system so that they could put whoever they want in the tournament and see them however they want it's still just as random as it's always been but now they they can trot out all these guys talking about quads and and kind of make you know seth greenberg look a lot smarter but nobody knows what's going on these guys have no clue what these things are based off and it's all the same shit. So just throw it out the window and, and whatever, just be honest with us and say, we'd rather have, you know, Rutgers or Maryland in the tournament than North Florida, because no one from North Florida is going to go to these games. Osprey, baby. Yeah. Did this, did this feel good? Was this a cathartic experience for you getting it off? It did feel good. Yeah, th- this was good. I, I, I've had this pent up for a long time. I'm happy to, to spill it out here. Uh, I'm going to get you out of here on this, though, Call, You see Duke is returning Jeremy Roach. So they got Roach, Proctor, Mark Mitchell, and, of course, Filipowski all back. Does that scare you? We we play Duke well for whatever reason. I, I, I like our matchup against Duke always. Also, Forbes is recruiting his ass off. I don't know if you've seen it. We've gotten several five-star recruits now coming in. He is just like a master of the wire. So who knows? We'll get a bunch. I'm, I'm – I mean, Wake continues to just get the ACC player of the year every year. So we'll have some guy who scored like six points. I don't know. I wasn't aware of this until this year. Do you know that there's like multiple voting bodies on on player of the year? I, th- I think so. Yeah. Because Isaiah Wong won, I think, like the AP player of the year. But Tyree Appleby won the like NCAA ACC player of the year. So I'm, yeah. I'm counting it. I'm counting it. Yeah, there's there's different stuff. Like we see it with coach of the year as well, right? Yeah. Like Arizona Arizona fans will say, no, no, no. Tommy Lloyd won like whatever, I don't know, the NCAA coach of the year. But everyone recognizes Ed Cooley as having won coach yeah. of the year a couple of years ago. But 
Yeah, I forgot about Applebee. Who was the one before him? Uh, Al- Al- Alondis Williams? Yeah, Man Man. Is that his nickname? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a monster. No, uh, we got another guy. I forget where he's coming from, but it's like, uh, you know, Oklahoma State or something. Or No, I think he's coming from Florida maybe. He scored, um, you know, six points a game. I guarantee you that guy's going to be 25 and eight next year. He's going to be unstoppable. All right. But, well, here you know, we'll probably we'll probably lose the Florida State <laughs> on March 9th and well again. But I was just going to ask you here on May on May 16th is Wake going to make the tournament? And then you just completely <laughs> threw water on that fire. I think we will this year. Actually, I, I think this is the time for it. We we we've called all the fat. Forbes has got all of his guys. We'll see. But this could be, I, I'm hopeful. This could be a great episode to listen back to if you're a bubble team and you don't make it. We'll get you back on for – I mean, I'm sure you'll have some sort of – got to see how the season plays out, but I'm sure you'll have some gripes then too. Yeah, I'm a baseball guy now. Wake's number one in the country in baseball, so I'm all about that. I love it. Colin yeah. Royal, thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed uh, venting here. I'm, I'm always here to lend, a, to lend an ear. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Sue.